and welcome to the Professional Motor Mechanic Podcast. I'm your host, Freya Coleman, News and Products Editor for the Professional Motor Mechanic Magazine. I will be stepping in for Kieran this month as he suns himself in Italy, but I can assure you this episode is as jam-packed as ever. The September issue of PMM is available at your local factor, so why not go down there and pick up a free copy? Make sure to claim your CPD point with this month's CPD zone as we get technical but diagnostics expert Ben Johnson, who investigates why a BMW E61 M Sport is losing power. In this episode of the podcast, Kieran speaks to Quinton Lehitet from Jeeper to break down some of the data flying around in the industry and what this means for independent garages, such as why the ageing car park might be a good thing. If cars are not being renewed with a new purchase, uh, you don't just write off the car, uh, you still need it. So people are holding up longer on their car. Kirsty will also give us the news this month and we'll hear from our resident factor expert, Tom Henman, highlighting the importance of customer relationships with Jane, a regional BDM for Motor Parts Direct. So without further ado, over to Kirsty. Thanks, Freya. As motorists in Northern Ireland are facing a three-month wait for an MOT, there are calls for the reintroduction of a temporary exemption certificate, which was last used during the pandemic. According to the John Stewart Ulster Unionist Party infrastructure spokesperson, this backlog comes as no surprise to anyone. Issues have been brewing since inspections in January 2020 found lift faults in 48 out of 55 test centres. Then test centres were closed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. In response, Roads Policing Superintendent Gary Bush responded that the DVA will make every effort to secure an MOT test date for any motorist whose MOT is due to expire. Noise cameras that can automatically detect cars with excessively loud exhausts are supported by 58% of drivers, according to new research from the RAC. This follows the Department for Transport's £300,000 trials in Bradford, Great Yarmouth, Birmingham and South Gloucestershire. Cars exceeding the 74 decibel legal limit trigger the microphones mounted on the cameras, with photos used by local police to identify and find drivers. The government hopes this will help crack down on dangerous racers and those who fit their cars with modified exhausts. So expect to see less of these in the workshop if the cameras are successful. MOTs are set to go paperless within the year, as the Driver and Vehicle Standards Agency, the DVSA, looks to reduce fraud within the testing process. The government agency wants to massively reduce the amount of paper used across the entirety of its remit, which includes plans to provide a digital by default option for the MOT certificate. This would also make the testing process more environmentally friendly, it said. Lastly, we'd like to invite all our listeners to attend Mechanics, the trade show for aftermarket professionals. The event is set to take place on Tuesday the 7th and Wednesday the 8th of November 2023. The free show is returning to Sandow Park in Surrey. This year features a bumper seminar program, including a session from Ben's health and well-being officer, Rachel Clift. So do come along. If you'd like to find out more, and if you'd like to register your free attendance, please visit www.mechanics.info. The link is in the show notes. And that's the news this month from PMM 
Now back to Freya. Thank you so much, Kirsty. With all the complaining my dad does about the loud boy races on his road, I'm sure he'll be glad to hear about the trial of those sound cameras. Now, if you're anything like me, you might find it hard to get your head around numbers, especially when it comes to what they actually mean in practice. From the number of new cars entering the market to the constant doom and gloom surrounding the cost of living crisis, it can be a lot to digest. So we thought it would be a good idea to sit down with Quinton Lehitet to break down some numbers and find out how independent garages are actually in a good position to thrive. Now, Quinton is the big numbers guy in the industry, and PMM first came across him at the IAAF conference last year, and I'm sure Kieran will agree with me when I say we were impressed by how in-depth he got into the data surrounding the MOT. So when Kieran had the pleasure of sitting next to him at the Auto Mechanica Awards dinner, without talking too much shop of course, Kieran urged him to come onto the podcast, which Quinton was more than happy to do. So, let's have a listen to Kieran and Quinton's conversation, accompanied with commentary from the both of us. Quinton, you're obviously uh, an expert on all things aftermarket in terms of uh, the kind of the big data, cars coming into the market, coming out of the market, things like that. Could, could you just give us a quick um, rundown then of, of the state of play of the industry about new cars coming into the UK? at the moment obviously during the pandemic took a big hit um but where where are we now right yes so indeed a big hit and a big hit that is still uh, the wave hasn't passed completely when he, when we look at uh, at uh, new car sales uh, just to, to to put the context uh, in place we were at uh, we sold in the uk in 2019 2.3 million new cars Okay, which was already, if you look back in uh, uh, as far as 2016, already quite a decrease back to the record level of uh, 2016 that was over 2.6 million. Okay, but if we use uh, and the context is that it has been decreasing since 2016 to uh, one uh, one uh, sorry not one two point uh, two point three millions a bit more than two point three millions in 2019. If we use that 2019 as a benchmark, uh, we are still much lower than that. Um, we were in 2020, in 2021, in 2022, we will be in 2023. Uh, roughly, we were around 1.6 million cars sold over the last uh, three years, 2020 to uh, 2022. And I don't see any big earthquake uh, uh, in terms of recovery, if we can say that, in 2023. We might be at best case scenario 1.8, but I think we will get to a maximum of 1.7 million. So if you take that into account, and if you compare to 2.3, that means that we already have, uh, we have every year, we had every year for the last three years at least, a lack of 700,000 vehicles injected new on the market. Uh, and once the year is gone, the year is gone. Okay, there is no way to recover that amount. So that means that uh, if you sum up those three years, that's already 2.1 million of cars that should have been registered on, and, and newly injected onto the, the British road if we were to, uh, to compare to 2019. Uh, they, are, they haven't. There will be another 700 to seven or 600,000 that won't be this year either. Uh, so that's a huge lack of, uh, of uh, fresh blood, if we can say that, fresh cars uh, on, the, on, the, on the UK market. So that's quite, that's quite big numbers, really. Yeah. So, so what, why is this important for the for garages? I think Quinton will go into it, probably explain it a lot better than I ever could. But I think essentially, um, 
well one you can you can see it in the in the prices of used cars um used cars have have never been more expensive yeah we're, we're both feels. experiencing that at the moment <laughs> both yeah. there both going through the the trials and tribulations of, of buying a used car and i think just less less new cars coming in it, it just it just means that there's the, the state of the cars out there going to be less new really i think um i I think yeah quinton will probably probably put it a bit better (laughs) than i could so in in this next part of the conversation actually um was quite interesting we we spoke about 2030 the deadline ice vehicles the history of uh, the the future rather of ice vehicles evs etc so so that's that's what we're that's what quinton is responding to essentially once we go into this next clip it will take a lot of time to uh, to change a car park. It takes it takes if you take the average uh, a, uh, not average age the average um, life expectancy of a vehicle, especially in a market where new cars less new cars are injected, that life expectancy is increasing. So it's about 14 years, uh, close to 15, getting closer to 15 years at the moment. So that means that more or less from 2030, if 2030 happen, because uh, at the moment, that's the that's the that's what we have been told. That's the latest updates. Uh, but it was it is twenty or it was twenty thirty five uh, in the European Union. Now the door is open for to biofuels as well. Uh, the UK government hasn't said anything about uh, their stance uh, regarding biofuels. But uh, more and more, uh, twenty thirty uh, seems uh, challenging. It was already a few years back. It seems potentially even more challenging now, having in mind what uh, neighboring countries wants to uh, wants to potentially implement. So some doubt cast there on twenty thirty. Yeah, and it, it's it's understandable. I I read Rishi Sunak, Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, talking about oh that Rishi Sunak. yeah that Rishi Sunak <laughs> talking about this recently, and he, even he couldn't give a straight answer as to whether 2030 would happen. No, I do I do worry slash wonder whether it's essentially used as a political football um, more than anything else. I have to say, most people we speak to, they are sceptical about whether it can physically happen. Um, and I must admit, looking around at the infrastructure and, for instance, um, you know, a lot of young people now live in flats and things and, and where are you going to put the charger? Yeah. But that being said, people were sceptical about whether we could get the Olympic Village done in time in 2012 yeah. and, and the Millennium Dome and these things. And somehow, you know, even if it's wildly over budget, it, do, it does somehow get pulled off in the end. We can hope. <laughs> we can hope, yeah. So the next clip is about the UK ageing car park. Okay, so this will tie in to the less cars coming in, what effect that's having. It is good news for most garages. Uh, it is not uh, good news for workshops of, uh, of dealerships uh, because if you take a stat that is very interesting, in 2017, uh, 38% of the car park was between zero or less than one year and four year old. Okay. Now uh, it is, uh, it, it is uh, 20, 26%. Okay. So it has already decreased by 11 points in just uh, about six years' time. Seven years time. Okay, so that means that 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 younger share of the of the car population is shrinking, and this also means that the other side uh, after four years is also increasing. What we see is that the five to nine years old is particularly increasing. 
at the moment, okay, which is when generally drivers start to go to independent garage, to national workshops and so on, national chains. And then the 15 plus is also increasing massively. Okay? And because if cars are not being renewed with a new purchase, uh, you don't just write off the car, uh, you still need it. So uh, the, the people are holding up longer on their car. And that means really the one that are, that are, that are increasing is five to nine years old and 15 plus. Uh, five to nine is really the, the, the sweet spot for any kind of workshops. 15 plus still for workshops, especially because you get very technical, mechanical failure, but also uh, people at that age, from that age for cars, are also trying to, to uh, diminish as much as possible the cost of their, uh, of, their, uh, of their car maintenance, might go online a bit more to try to find the clutch that they need repairing, uh, might go online and do a bit more themselves. So it's two different types of profile of drivers, uh, but all in all, this is definitely good news for the independent after aftermarket uh, sector. I love that, the sweet spot. Yeah. Yeah, it feels British, the sweet spot. The sweet spot. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, weirdly euphemistic. Um, yeah. Sweet spot, five to nine years old then yeah. for a car. So makes that, sense. Yeah, so it will be when people want to keep spending money on their car, but also warranties and guarantees of, of run out in dealerships, right? Well, it's, yeah, it's exactly. It's, it's when you're going to be moving away from the dealer, um, typically sort of after three years, then that kind of fourth year, there's not going to be that much wrong with it. Yeah. Round about five years is when problems start creeping in. Um, and, and yeah, sort of between five and nine years, you're going to spend a bit more money on, on your car, aren't you? You're, you're not going to feel too bad um, about, you know, Does it feel up. like a lost cause? <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. And I think that's so interesting what you said about the kind of 15 plus um, cars where people, because you you would think that, that the, the logic would just run that the older the car is, the more work you have to do on it. But it's true that once a car gets to a certain age and, you know, you start referring to it as a banger rather than a car, <laughs> um, you don't want to be spending, you don't want to be spending extortionate amounts, do you really? No. Which no. I think is, you know, fair enough. Until it goes into classic territory. Until it goes into classic territory, which is an ever-changing, an ever-changing segment um, of the of the market. So, what's this next clip about? So, from here, Quinton uh, speaks a little bit about what he calls the resilient market. No, sorry, actually, he calls it the elastic market, but I I, I think of it as a resilient market. So, essentially, I asked him about the cost of living um, crisis we're going through at the moment, and um, well, let, let's let's listen to what he has to say about it. What we see uh, with that cost of living crisis that is interesting is that the elasti elasticity for kind of anything linked to the price of the car, whether it's uh, running the car with fuel or whether it's uh, maintaining it and servicing it, the elasticity is relatively high uh, because people need their car. Okay, uh, So we thought that with the, the, uh, the, um, the price of either petrol or diesel close to two pounds uh, per liter last year, we would, get, uh, we would get a slowdown in mileage. We didn't see so much of an effect because people still need to get where they need to, even if it's two pounds a liter instead of 1.5, 1.2. So uh, they, uh, we were a bit surprised. Or, I mean, that's not what I was, I would expect, I would have expected a, a more of a, a decrease on the mileage. It didn't really happen. And what we see as well is that when we ask drivers, okay, what, what area are you going to reduce 
uh, if you have to reduce your uh, your uh, your spendings, uh, the, the the car maintenance never goes faster. Restaurants, going out, uh, cultural outings, and so on that goes first. And uh, in uh, I don't have the exact numbers in mind, but uh, what is sure is that uh, the the repairing the cars is at the bottom of the list. That, uh, bottom. There are only a few people that say yes, I will reduce here. Yeah. Simply because they, they have no choice. They have no choice. And also the, the UK market is not a very uh, DIY market anyway. Okay, so you, we are not in uh, on the Polish market uh, or even the French market where uh, some drivers do quite a lot themselves almost as a hobby. It's not at all the case in the UK. You have a tiny percentage of people that do that and that, uh, that have the knowledge to do it, but it's very, very small. So all in all, uh, cost of living crisis do not have such an effect. It's a little bit like uh, the the, um, the people that are unfortunate to have seen their their mortgage rate increasing. Uh, you have to pay it. You have oh, as you make a plan, unfortunately for them, but uh, you have to make a plan because that's the kind of thing you can't not pay. So it's it's a bit similar. It's pretty unequivocal there, really, wasn't it? There's no negative effect from the cost of living crisis. Yeah, pretty point blank. Yeah, at least not in terms of the customers coming to the garages. No, because people are always going to need to fix their cars. They've got to go where they've got to go. It's, it's, it's definitely more of a necessity now than it was, well, especially in rural areas. Yeah, it's, it's good to see that people haven't cut back on servicing their car, at least. You, you think the servicing and things like that would, would maybe be the, the, the first elements to go. But I guess, as, as, as Quinton was saying earlier, that... If you have an older car, if if your if your saving money strategy is to not buy a new car, or at least not to trade in to get a newer car, then you're going to be a bit more willing to spend money on servicing, getting the oil changed, doing the right things for your car because you know you're going to be keeping it longer. Yeah, absolutely. You'd, you'd rather invest in it, is it? Yeah. Yeah, and and ironically, um, Freya, or, fu- or funnily enough, I don't know if it's ironic. This is exactly what people should be saying is the best way for the environment as well yeah don't buy a new car get your old get your old car fixed same with phones same with same with anything yeah 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 absolutely um interesting as well what he said about the kind of french and polish markets where um people do a bit more diy yeah um on their cars we're we're not really a diy no my 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 dad is but i don't can't think of anyone else no yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but well, my my dad's my dad. It's, it's a... I've met a, I've met a few because um, in this in this industry you can't help but meet a few, um, and any kind of Land Rover um, owner is automatically in the in the DIY category because they don't really have a choice. Um, but yeah, but no, I think in general, you know, you take it to a garage, I guess, because the garage is pretty cheap. The independent aftermarket yeah. is is pretty cheap, really. Yeah. But then, as Quentin explains a little bit in the next clip, uh, and in our final clip, I believe, the, the cost of living crisis is not completely without effect. So um, let's have a listen to that. To me, the negative effect, especially for your audience, is how your audience manage the inflation. And that's, 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 a, that's a more difficult, uh, difficult equation to solve. You have drivers that are, that are struggling. Uh, they, their car is getting older. Uh, it's not just a service that costs uh, 200 pounds, but it's a clutch, a timing belt to change. We're looking more to uh, within uh, the five, uh, the 500 to a thousand uh, pound repair. Uh, it's 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 really for the, the the difficulty, the challenge is really for the garages themselves and the garage owner. Uh, how do they actually reflect the inflation? They are also 
uh, facing to their end consumer. And that's, that's, that's really the tricky part. That's, to me, that's the, the biggest challenge is that one. Because the parts are not getting more expensive. Energy and therefore overheads are getting more expensive. It's difficult to find, uh, to find qualified staff and therefore you potentially have to attract them with a better package. That gets more expensive. So it's really, uh, it's really that part of uh, the cost of living crisis that for me is, uh, is a challenge. This is where it'll be more difficult for our listeners. Maybe a bit more tempting to use cheaper parts. Let's face it, the, the customer doesn't really know what parts you use. They just come get a get the car repaired and, and drive it away um they don't really inspect whether it's an oe part or or a high quality aftermarket part they they don't really know i think there'll probably be a lot of people tempted to go to less than reputable sources shall we say yeah cut corners cut corners yeah. that's right yeah. yeah um and especially compound that with the skills shortage at the moment workshops being charged more and more by the vms to access the data tempting tempting to cut corners do you think that garages would be able to raise their labor rates because people are willing to spend more on their cars yeah well we know that they're definitely um raising their labor rates definitely paying more have to to pass the cost the costs on to customers um there's just no way around it really no i don't think workshops can be martyrs basically and take it all on themselves they have to have to do what the dealers do pass it on and value the work that they do value the work they do absolutely absolutely well well that that brings us to the end of our chat with quinton we could have spoken for hours and uh, we did actually provisionally agree not we haven't set any dates uh, yet but we will we will be t- talking again um, about evs this time but yeah i i brilliant chat yeah really interesting yeah I, I, he's got so much to say on the aftermarket. He knows it inside out. I wouldn't have known that the cost of living crisis was actually benefiting some people. It's, yeah. Yes, yeah. And it, it is complicated as well. Yeah. And I think um, Quinton, you know, he's not shy about saying it's complicated and that, you know, you have to look into the into the data. But hopefully we've helped you and Quinton has helped you understand it a bit better. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and likewise, as Quinton said, you know, um, garages our listeners you out there you know you might be struggling um get in touch with us let us know let us know how you're how you're handling it anyway in the meantime uh, we've got tom henman from professional motor factor he's our factor correspondent let's head over to tom thank you very much as we know motor factors are the backbone of our industry they're the unsung heroes they are the conduit between supplier and the professional motor mechanic providing parts, tools, and expertise. They play a vital role in keeping the automotive aftermarket running smoothly. Okay, I'm the editor of Professional Motor Factor, so maybe a little biased, but they're still integral parts of the chain. Behind every buying group, behind every independent, behind every branch and every phone call is a person. It's the people I meet in my job that truly make it, and that's definitely the case for Jane, a regional BDM for Motor Parts Direct. While her role at MPD only begun in 2019, her motor factoring journey actually started in 1986. Her career has taken her down different paths, some tricky to navigate and overcome, but without doubt she's happy and as passionate as ever. I began our chat by asking Jane about her integration into MPD, 
how she progressed to a regional BDM and what area and branches she is responsible for. MPD was one of my existing customers when I worked at FPS. I used to call on the MPD branches in the south. Had a real good relationship with them. Um, and knew the area manager, a guy called Dan Y. And he said, Jane, he said, I've heard about what's happened. He said, come and see me, which I did. Um, and he, he basically said, when, when do you want to start? <laughs> um, and I couldn't believe it, really. So there was a local branch in Crayford. I lived near there in Bromley. So um, I started there. Just working in the warehouse again, Tom, believe it or not, started from scratch because at that time BDMs weren't really prominent within um, MPD. So I was working in the warehouse, learnt the phones, put away stock, went out driving, whatever it took to get the branch going um, and just, just jumped in and helped it in every aspect, cleaned the toilets, <laughs> you know, whatever, um, did the coffee made friends with everyone, went out to see the customers. Um, then we had a change of area manager, a guy called Dan Bigwood, who's my current uh, area manager. Um, and he basically said, Jane, I think you're wasted doing all this. Uh, my idea within MPD, we're going to grow the BDMs. You're going to be a regional BDM. Um, and we're going to develop that role within MPD. When Mukesha owned the company, um, he, he was very, very a big believer in, you know, looking after the customers and going out to, to see customers and he liked the BDM role. So that's how I, um, that's how I started really. <clears throat> and so, I've got to look back, Tom, it's been brilliant, fantastic company. They were independently owned, but they were sold, we've been sold now to Motus Holdings, um, South African company. Um, and they're just injecting, investing money into the company. And um, we opened up our Seven Oaks CSD branch, which is where I'm, I'm at the moment. So, um, you know, I look after uh, Seven Oaks, Crayford, Maidstone, Sittingbourne, Manston, five branches. And they've got a big customer base, which is growing all the time. Um, so I was just sitting here this morning, actually, looking at my... My key accounts, the new prospects, who to go and see, looking at the sales decline, seeing who I need to go and target this morning to see if there's anything wrong. Um, and I'll do Seven Oaks and a little bit of Crayford because they kind of, they're, they're close, so I can overlap the customer base there. We move to talk about the importance of customer relationships, specifically building and maintaining them. It became clear how vital they are to both her happiness and effectiveness in the role. Building relationships and a new challenge of a new branch, which is Seven Oaks and Manston. Um, I love it when I go into a garage now because they're mainly fellas, but saying that, I've got quite a few female technicians, which is brilliant. Um, before I go in and see the key principal, I walk into the garage, so they might be in a pit, under a car, and now they're saying, Morning, Jane, how are you? Which is lovely. At my previous role, FPS, I knew everyone at the branch. Um, and moving moving away from that, it was quite hard to, to come to terms with that, really, because, no, you know, you knew, no one knew you. But now I'm developing myself more. Um, and at Seven Oaks, it's nice 
they know me and, and that's what I like. They know they can trust me, Tom, as well, and I don't I don't let anything go. If there is an issue, be it good or bad, I'll make sure I follow it through um, and it's resolved in, in whatever way needs to be done. No job comes without its challenges and difficulties. Nothing in life is perfect, as we know. Jane gave an appraisal of what she's observing on the ground at workshop level. A lot of garages, they're older guys um, or older companies, and they're not, they're not forward-thinking enough for new technology, electronic vehicles. A lot of their customer base are sadly passing away, Tom, and they're not developing it. Um, saying that, there's other customers that have got EV charging cables and they're into electronic vehicles. Um, they're, they're forward thinking, so it, uh, they're coming up against customers haven't got the money to pay their bills. They're not, they haven't got that second car. Um, they are saving whatever money they've got because they might want a holiday or, or paying their bills or, or whatever. It's, it's a kind of a luxury now to have two cars. I was curious, therefore, to ascertain how MPD is supporting these garages, trying to galvanise or possibly rejuvenate those businesses that have lost their way, perhaps. The way that uh, MPD support their customer base is obviously a fantastic stock holding at our branches, delivery service. At the end of the phone, we're, we're there um, to resolve any issues, be it good or bad. They've got a fantastic BDM calling on them at a drop of a hat, if of needs course. be. Um, they're looked after, Tom. We look after our customers. We have a good um, stock portfolio as well, from your Borgenbeck, LUK, TRW. We're introducing new ranges all the time. Um, we, you know, electronic vehicle cables we're doing. Uh, we do key cutting, which is new. Um, so we're trying to, well, we are keeping up with the times. It was an absolute pleasure to welcome Jane on this month's pod. She was enthusiastic to do the interview, and despite a game of phone tennis beforehand, we eventually managed to hook up. I hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as we did doing it. See you next time. Thanks, Tom. I always say enthusiasm is key. And thank you to our guest, Quinton, for sitting down with Kieran and to Kirsty for stepping in to do the news. Make sure to join us next month where we'll be gearing up for our trade show mechanics, speaking to some of our headline exhibitors, including Mann and Hummel. But for now, thanks for listening. Bye.